Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you all. And we plunge this week into this prayer that I believe defines us as believers. This, this prayer is the prayer that Jesus gave to the new covenant people, to you and I. And we're looking at it in Matthew chapter 6 and in verse 9. And we read it fully last week. And we've got plenty to say this week. So I just want to let you know where it is. And today we're going to look at simply our Father. In fact, we're just going to look at Father. Because in Luke's gospel, when he gives the account Uh, of the disciples listening to Jesus pray and asking him to teach them to pray in the same way that he did, that record of the prayer just begins with Father. And you could read into that uh, the exclamation as looking into the very heart of Father, Father, you see. And, And so whichever way we look at it, our Father, or Father. This is, this is where the prayer begins. And I want you to weigh this. We're going to go through this slowly. And I, I want you to hear what I'm saying. And could I say, and I don't want to uh, demean anyone, but what I'm going to say tonight may be uh, different. It may be a totally new and other way of understanding the gospel Uh, because let us face the reality that many, many, many believers and whole churches have no real concept of Father. And so if, if this is odd and new and never heard before, just listen two or three more times and the Holy Spirit will make it real to you. So, begins with Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Father. And as I've said before, but let me emphasize it because this is maybe the heart of it. This word Father, that is really as good as it gets in terms of translating it into English. But the the word that Jesus would have used there in his language was Abba. And Abba, yes, it means father, but it's much more intimate than the word father. When, when I was growing up in England, uh, people that had money sent their children off to uh, boarding schools. 
and they would always have to write home from the boarding school and their letters would always begin, Father. And there's something, maybe it's just me, but there's something about the word Father that that is austere. And it almost has a, a separate idea, a separation. Whereas the word Jesus used is a shocking word. It is no wonder that religion became so upset with Jesus because the word Abba is... Yes, it's father, but it's closer to our word daddy. Maybe um, daddy is going too far. It has in it that sense of respect, um, more than just childish words. It was a word used from childhood. It was the very first word of a baby to learn, Abba, Abba. And it continued. And so a person right up to the dying day of his father would call him Abba. It was the word that described the relationship of children to their father. And as I've told you before, but let me underscore it, I I lived in Brooklyn, New York for a number of years. And there are so many Jewish people in Brooklyn that you get a good immersion into the culture. And, and as I would go down to Manhattan in, in the subway, inevitably there would be a Jewish family with their children and, and the children would climb on the laps of their father and, and, and would I, I remember pulling on his beard and, and saying, Abba, Abba, Abba. That's exactly this word that Jesus said. And so this is, we we don't catch this because um, somehow Christians assume, yes, we say Father, but that was never known from Genesis to Malachi. You will never find this intimacy, this, uh, this word that comes right to the very heart of family. No, you addressed God in many ways, many beautiful ways, but Father was not one. And Jesus came bursting on the scene, addressing the Most High God as Abba, Daddy. You can understand, can you not? This prayer stands as the words of Jesus introducing us to his relationship and saying, come and join me. You too can call him Daddy, Daddy, Father. It's it's the most intimate family word. You see, you, you can't say father, certainly can't say Abba, without realizing the intimacy of family. Uh, anybody coming off the street doesn't turn to the patriarch of the family and say, hello, daddy. No, that, that word is reserved for insiders. Strangers don't come in and call him daddy. No, this is for children. This is for those of blood relationship. This is for those who gather around the family table and call him daddy. It's reserved for the children. And as I say, they use this term when they became sons and daughters, teenagers, young businessmen and wives and Always they came home to Abba. This, this was that intimate family word. And 
this is where you, you may be put off a little bit, but this is why Jesus came. This word, hear me, this word, Abba, you could say defines why Jesus came. Yes, you heard me. This word Abba defines the mission of Jesus. He tells us, read the Gospel of John after I've talked tonight. Uh, and, And throughout that Gospel, he makes it plain. Jesus said it was Abba, the Father, who sent me. He's on a mission. And he said he has come. And why has he come? To reveal to us Abba. So Abba sent Jesus in order to reveal to us in our darkness that Satan has blinded us with, reveal inside that darkness Abba. Reveal, tear back the blinds, let the light come in and see that, yes, the God that they have seen in the Old Testament with beautiful, wonderful, insightful names, but at the heart of it, he is Daddy, his Father. Jesus came to do that and then to take us to the Father. So the goal of Jesus' coming is sent by Abba to reveal to us who Abba is and then, through his death and resurrection, take us to Abba so that we might share with him what it is to be a child, a son, a daughter of Abba. That's the gospel. See what I mean? Jesus revealed that God is Father, Abba, Daddy. Now, the church, and I say that word as broad as you want to make it, the the church of the 21st century, in fact, of the 20th century before us too, has lost the wonder of that. You, You will rarely find a believer who sits, stands in wonder that, God is Daddy, and that Jesus came to reveal that Father and then to take us into that relationship where we can call him Daddy. The church has lost that, and, and for whatever reason. But on the, on the one hand, you, you have people, and there are many, and it is possible that you're listening to me right now, that really and truly, they, they, they can't get the idea of Father. In fact, if you press them and let them talk, they, they will sooner or later say or show that they, they think about God the Father as sort of the ogre. He, he, he's the one to be scared of. He's the one... Uh, he doesn't like us, not really. Um, that There's a real sense that we see the Father as sort of a remote judge. He, he's the one who, who's nitpicking, who's finding any reason he can to damn us in hell. 
And so we hide. We hide behind masks. We hide behind church work. We, we hide behind being nice and good and all the other stuff. We're hiding like Adam and Eve hid from God behind fig leaves and then behind the bushes of the garden because they'd lost the image. They'd lost the truth that he was father who was limitless, infinite love. You see, Jesus came to reveal the Father and said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So all those ideas that we have, that the Father is angry, he's condemning, he's judging, he's he's not approachable, and all that other stuff, that's all lies. And I'm going to say satanic lies, even if you heard it from a pulpit. They're blasphemy. For Jesus said, the Father is exactly like me. I am the revelation of the Father. I am revealing to you in every detail of life. This is what the Father is. Compassion, the saving, the healing, the providing, the protecting, the one who wept over those that would crucify him. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And the epistles pick that up like Hebrews chapter 1 and the first verses, and it says he is the exact likeness. He is the outraying of the glory of the Father. If you've seen Jesus, you say, if, if you've got this other image of Jesus, trash it. And, and let me say this, if you're thinking of God the Father in terms of your earthly father, you know what I mean? When you think of God the Father, you think of your earthly father and run for your life. No, you see, you're going the wrong way. Jesus said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus alone is the revelator the one who explains and shares with us who the Father is. My earthly father was a good man, and he was decent, and he was sincere, and he loved me as best he knew how. But I I, I can't look at my earthly father and say, now I can understand God the Father. No, my, my father fell hopelessly short of being the exact image of the Father. Oh, and if my children look at me as an image of God the Father, they will be so far off, forget it. Only Jesus, please hear me, only Jesus revealed who the Father is. And that was his mission. He came to show us. And Jesus revealed the Father's heart. And so this other image that we have of the Father, who is sort of the other side of God, dark and, uh, you know, he'll, he'll, he's, he's the judge. No, no, no. Jesus did all that he did because he said, I saw the Father do it first. He said everything he said because he heard the Father say it first. He's the exact image, and he speaks the Father's message of unlimited, unconditional love. 
Uh, but then we also have marginalized the father. Um, you know, some of you would call yourself evangelical. Um, I'm basically an evangelical. Um, and, and we, raised in evangelical, we sort of, um, we, we forgot the father and just talked about Jesus. Jesus seemed safe. The father, well, he was sort of remote, and yes, he was there, but it was Jesus. And many times when we prayed, we prayed to Jesus, which is okay, but um, I'll get there sometime. Um, and then along came the charismatics, and they they enjoyed Jesus, but everything was the Holy Spirit. And again, father, well, I'm not too sure. Okay. I'll stop. I think we got it. Most believers today have something of a problem with the Father. Yet Jesus is saying that the beginning of prayer, the very first breath of prayer in your mouth is Father. That's where it all begins. And... Yeah, let me let me say this right now. We can speak directly to Jesus. I do that all the time. Um, and we can also pray to the Holy Spirit. I do that all the time. But can you hear me? Until I understand that I am praying to the Father, I'm not too sure where Jesus fits in. And I'm not sure where the Holy Spirit fits in. And so this is important that we understand. We pray to the Father. To the Father. I said it's the first word of prayer. Really and truly, if you've understood the last 10 minutes, it's the first word of salvation. You see, how many of you how many, well, of you, let me go back to me when I was 13 years old. I mean, we, we came because we were told in, in gospel preachings and crusades that if you came to Jesus, then you wouldn't go to hell. We were told that you'd come and get your sins forgiven and go to heaven forever. No one ever mentioned the Father. No one. No one. He he turned up later after you began to attend church and you heard about Father. And so really and truly, even though our coming to know God and salvation was valid, let me emphasize this, it's valid. I really came to Jesus. But the truth is, the, the fullness of salvation is not that you get your sins forgiven. It's that the Father forgives you in and through Jesus. It's not that you go to heaven when you die and all that thing about walking on golden streets. Heaven is the Father's face. Heaven is the presence of the Father. You don't go to a place and sort of hang around forever singing gospel songs. No, heaven is, is the, the finale of this incredible relationship between you, a human who has been elevated to look God in the face and be known by him and know him. 
It's a, it's the first word of salvation when we finally get down to it. Jesus came to bring us to the Father. That's what it's all about. And when the Holy Spirit comes and people say, well, you know, the initial evidence of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. I, I, I'm sorry. I speak in tongues every day. Okay, let's get that straight. But the indication that the Holy Spirit has come, it says in Galatians 4, it says the Holy Spirit witnesses with our spirit. It's Galatians 4 and also Romans 8. And the Holy Spirit within us, his voice joins our voice and we say, Abba, Father. That's, so the first evidence that the Holy Spirit is there is that you know not in your intellect, but you know in, what shall I say, your knower, in your deepest gut heart, you know, you know, you have the witness in yourself that you are a child in the family of God, and, and you know that you are loved, and that love begins to rise and spill over. I probably upset a lot of charismatics, but I'd have you remind I was once one of the leaders of the charismatic movement. So let's leave that there. No, this is the beginning of everything. Abba. Abba. As I say, that, that word plunges you into family life. Whenever you would say father, I mean, in any culture, of course, family is pretty well being thrown under the bus here in the USA. But in normal civilized countries, they recognize that family is the basic unit of civilization. And when we say father, we immediately think in terms of family. And so when prayer begins with saying father, then I immediately have a context for what we're about to do. It tells me the one to whom I speak, his father. And, and, and it tells me, just in saying that, it tells me who I am. I'm a child, right? You don't, you don't say Abba unless you're the child. That's a, a, a word, as I said before. It's not for strangers. It's not for drop-ins. It, it, it's just for the children. It, it's for those who belong to the family. And, and, and so, Abba, it tells me who he is, and at the same time, it puts me in my place in the relationship. I'm child. I'm son. Your daughter. And again, and I'm going to leave this at this point, but... When we, we come in prayer, how, what do you think? Who are you talking to? What's going on? Where are you? And many people, if, if I hear what they say is what they mean, then they have come into the Supreme Court and they are addressing one of the judges and they're expecting to be judged and condemned. I mean, it's all there in their prayers. No, <laughs> When you say father, you immediately are transported into family. 
And so I've used the term to the kitchen table of the Holy Trinity because that's where family usually gather. If, if the stranger comes in off the street, we all go into that dining room. Remember that place where smelled of, well, you know, hadn't been used for a year since the last stranger dropped by and there's all that stuff on the chairs that sticks to your pants. And, and no, the family's at the kitchen table. Abba, yeah, not, not courtroom. No, no, no. And, and we don't come and, and grovel. There's no groveling. There's no begging with children. So we're not coming to almighty sovereign God and grovel before him. If you do, you haven't heard the gospel yet. You say, but isn't that in the creed? No, because the people who brought forth the creed that we confess as the foundation of our faith is called the Nicene Creed. Um, and prior to that, the Apostles' Creed. But have you noticed, yes, it was a good point you raised there, that it says, we believe in God, the Father Almighty. I should say, we don't believe in Almighty God. That would send you on your face groveling. We believe in God, the Father. And our Father is Almighty. And He's Almighty Love. Oh, yes. This is family. And so it conjures immediately. When I come to this prayer, Father, then I am thinking of, as I say, kitchen table. I am, and again, maybe you didn't have that experience. But what, what is pictured in the Scripture and what I was privileged to know, though we were dirt poor on the backside of London, raised in, in World War II, but still, when the family gathered around the table, it, it was a place of sharing. That, that, that was a long time ago. When food was on the table, you, you wouldn't go anywhere else. You, you would never say, I'll be home at seven o'clock and grab my food out of the refrigerator where there was no refrigerator. Uh, no, the family and, and table and sharing was sacred. Nothing else could you. You can't say, I'll be back later. Can't say, no, you, you, you were there. And you were there at the table and there you simply shared, shared the day, shared its joys, shared its sorrows, shared its questions. And Abba shared his wisdom. Yeah, that was Abba. It, it, it included play. Yes, you see, we... <laughs> The, the old idea of father, you see, father ne never, never smiles. He, he's that. Have you noticed when the ancient artists painted a, a description of God the Father, they always made him old with gray beard. Look like he's going to croak. It looks as though heaven's an old folks' home. How sad. He is the fountain of eternal youth. His life. And in that youth and life, there's laughter and there's joy. God is playful. 
Come unto me and I will give you rest, said Jesus. Come away from the sour, miserable, burden-bearing, wearisome laws that the Pharisees embodied. And he says, I will give you rest. And there is the possibility of translating that word rest as vacation. It means cease from work. There's holy play in God. I think it's not for nothing that Jesus, who reveals the Father, remember, the very first thrust upon the stage was at a wedding. And weddings went on for a week, and there was dancing, and there was singing, and there was music, and People grabbed each other's arms and spun around and sang. And oh, Not the kind of God we think of, is it? But it's the real one. He's daddy. And he plays. Yeah. Think about that. Daddy, who when we're little children is the one who comes in and kisses our forehead and puts out the light and assures us everything's okay because daddy's here for the night. Daddy is the word for care. Casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Uh, Provision. Protection. Abba. See, the family is the smallest unit of covenant love. That's where covenant love is unfolded to be seen. And out of that smallest unit of covenant love, all other, they're built. So when nations into covenant, it's because at the heart, the family, bound together in, in covenant relationship. And again, as the sad commentary today, I don't have to explain it, that if you do not have family, if there's no Abba, then, but for the grace of God, you are adrift in this world, searching for Abba, searching for that glue that holds the unit together. We're family, and we sit down, and say, Abba, Abba. See, all of what I've just said could be summed up in just one word, and that is love. That under the circumstances of the Old Testament and New Testament and everything the Bible teaches, Abba, Daddy, it's, it's the language of, of those who know that they are loved and loved through all the twists and turns of life. When I have royally screwed up or when I got straight A's, wherever I find myself, there's one place you know is safe. Covenant love, Abba. He may totally disapprove of what you're doing, but he won't stop loving you. It's, that's Abba. And now we've come to the Abba that is infinitely beyond all the little shadows of Abba that are our families on earth. 
He is unconditional love. He says in this context, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Never. And if you have an amplified Bible, read that. It's in Hebrews 13, I believe it's verse 5. Read read that in the amplified Bible, which is, is perfect in showing what the original language says. And it takes five negatives to say it. It is. Read it. The Greek language there says, I will never, I will never, I will never, I will never. Under any circumstances, I will never leave you or forsake you. Father, Abba, he's safe. Safe. We're, we're, We're all, we can all relate to the prodigal son. Every one of us. We've come home feeling that we've got no right there, that God's got to be blind if he accepts us, and so on and so on. And then we're engulfed in the embrace of a love that is obviously unconditional, embraced by a love that suffers with us where we are, passionate love, limitless love. That's home. In those arms... That prodigal boy knew he was safe, accepted. This is our God. And that love is not, what shall I say? I, I, you see, I, I've heard people talk about it because I preach the love of God. You do tend to get um, persons who talk about it to you. And and so many times, among our New Age friends, they, they they speak of God and love, but it's it's not personal. It's an impersonal what? Because love is the nth degree of personal. But they they talk about it as force. So it's a love force. And a general niceness. So they they have that sign on the back of their cars. You know, you do, what is it? I've forgotten. The, the These acts of love that have no foundation. Senseless acts of love, I think they say. Senseless acts of love. Sort of mindlessly doing something nice. Doing something kind. Be loving. There's, there's no foundation to it. There's no person. Being, you're just, just this force of niceness. No. When you come to the scripture, God who is love is not just nice. He, he defines what he means by love. He said, for God so loved the world that... Okay, the soul loved the world now has concrete definition. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the coming of Jesus, the death, blood shedding of Jesus, and his resurrection from death. There you got the love of that's how far God will go. God. God will send God into our human flesh and being until he's inside our death. 
That's how far he'll go to get us. He will come to us at our very worst when we spit in his face, punch him, curse him, damn him in hell. And through his bloody lips and bloodshot, broken eyes, he says, I love you and you are forgiven. That, that's the love of God. And you can never, ever talk about the love of God without saying it's defined in what Jesus did. Love, Abba. So you begin prayer. Prayer is. Prayer happens. In, in the matrix, of, I, I, I know I'm loved. I, I'm beloved. Sometimes, you know, prayer can be just sitting there on your porch knowing that you are loved by God. And that can go on for quite a while, just knowing it, just being loved. That's where it begins. Or as 1 John 3 says, behold, which is an old English word, which means look, look, will you, behold, what manner of love the Father, Abba, has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children, the sons of God. And now we are the sons of God, as if John thought, I just said, we're called. We are called, but we're more than that. We are the sons, the daughters, the children of God. Begins there. Prayer flows out of that. It's when you know the love the Father has for you, then you understand why Jesus came. Then you understand why the Holy Spirit is here. You see, I said earlier, the Father comes first. That's why Jesus came, to introduce you to the Father. So now you understand where Jesus fits, and then you understand where the Holy Spirit fits. He's all one. You see... We've been using the word child, and of course, family, child, children. It's all part of this word Abba. And religion has taught us that we come into the Father presence with proof that we love him. We come to God because of this and this and this we've done. We've repented properly. We've got the proper amount of faith and we're doing the proper kind of works. And I thank you, oh God, I'm not like everybody else who doesn't do that. So here I am. We love God, says religion. And therefore, we have a place in God's presence. Well, go back to this child bit. I mean, this, this is ridiculous, but this is how ridiculous religion can be. You do not address the unborn child and say, I will let you be born if you love me. Huh. You ever thought about that? That child is born without any conscious response at all to the parent. And what does the parent do but shower that child with 
unconditional love, grace, everything is given. And as the child comes to consciousness and realizes that love just is, love is there morning till night and in the night, then there begins to emerge a response to that love. And one day the child says, Daddy, Mommy, I love you. But it began long before that with unconditional love of parent to child. Now, have you ever read in Scripture where it says, herein is love, and it's speaking of specifically, herein is God love. Not, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave his son. Now, think on that for a few days or months. I know that this this is like pulling out the foundation of a pack of cards, isn't it? The whole jolly lot falls down. The, the, what? Herein is God's love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us. Or, same writer, First John, he says, we love because he first loved us. Abba. Children don't begin loving the Father. Children do not get into the family because they love the Father. They're in the family because the Father loved them. You know, and this might be pushing it a little bit, but I don't think so. The, the, the days of the crucifixion, they... They show up so much about the characters that were there, had to. The event of all events would show up everything. And Peter stands out, maybe above the other disciples, in, but not in, in a good way. You remember Peter on that night in which Jesus was betrayed, when he said those terrible words to the other disciples. When he, I mean, here they are, just a bunch, 11 men gathered around Jesus, afraid because of the tension in the air and what Jesus has warned them is coming. And Peter stands up and turns to those disciples, his buddies, that they've, they've walked together with Jesus, and Peter said, all of these will probably leave you and betray you and run away from you, but I won't. What? <laughs> Peter, you are saying that all these others, their love for Jesus is faulty. It's cracked. And, and they're all going to forsake him. But you, you love him and you will not run away. You will not betray him. Well, 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 Peter. Well, well, well. You 
believe that this entire relationship is about you loving Jesus enough and probably more than anybody else. And of course, the whole lot crashed. And as Jesus is being interrogated, his lover boy, Peter, is blaspheming and cursing and saying that he's never seen Jesus, doesn't know him. And then the cock crows and the Lord turns and looks at Peter and Peter recognizes what he's done and he flees the courtyard sobbing and stays away. At the resurrection, Jesus will have to say, go and tell my disciples and tell Peter. Tell him because he doesn't think he's a disciple anymore. Well, what's going on? Well, Peter believed that his relationship was based on how much he loved and showed him what he did that he loved. And when that fell flat on its face, he's got nothing left. His entire hope of relationship was built on his belief that he had somehow what earned it by loving enough and so when it all fell apart he, he had no he didn't come back jesus had to call him back specifically but there was the other chap john now it's interesting that in the gospel of john when john speaks of himself He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I used to think that maybe John was the special disciple and that Jesus loved him, dare I say, more than the others. And so John gave himself that title, the the disciple whom Jesus loved. I don't think that that doesn't fit. Is it that John, of all the disciples, knew that he was loved? Jesus was loving him with the Father's love, not because he, John, was loving, but because he was breathing and he was there. And the Father, in the face and person of Jesus, was loving him just because he was there. And John knew it. And therefore could write, I'm the one that Jesus loves. Any one of the disciples could have said that. Apparently, John was the only one who did. He knew it. So here you have Peter, who said, I love you more than these. And John, who never went there, but just said, I'm the one that Jesus loves. Well, what happened to him? He was in that courtyard too. Let's be very plain about this. John was in that courtyard 
when Peter was blaspheming and cursing, what was John doing? He was with his head bowed low, warming his hands at the fire. And when Jesus had said, and Jesus was standing only, what, eight feet away from him, and being interrogated with mocking words, and Jesus made a request that was a legal request, that is in a court of law, which this thing was supposed to be, a kangaroo court for sure, but it was supposed to be legal. And Jesus asked a legal request. He said, ask those who heard me. It was the way they did it in the Hebrew court to call the witnesses. Jesus said, someone else can come here and tell you what I said. John heard that, and John had heard what Jesus said more than all the others put together. He was with Jesus when others weren't. Huh, where's John hiding his head? He's not. Okay, Peter miserably failed with cursings. John failed by keeping his mouth shut. But John doesn't go into despair. John doesn't go weeping into the darkness to hide. John follows the whole hideous procession. He's there when Jesus is whipped. He is there when they put the cross on his shoulders. John is there when the nails, you can hear the beating of the nails through his hands. John is there along with the Virgin Mary and other women. And John is there as they put the cross into the ground and the whole body of Jesus hangs upon it. John was there. And it was John who was the first one into the tomb on resurrection morning, and what he saw there immediately knew that Jesus was risen from the dead. It was John. What what has John got that held him steady as a rock that Peter didn't have that sent him berserk all over Jerusalem in that dark hour? I say it again. Peter defined his relationship by saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. John defined his relationship by saying, you love me. And when I do things that are not according to, I love you, I'm finished. I go, I'm I'm done, it's all over. I failed, I failed. But when John fails, he knows he's still loved cannot be any other way. He's the disciple whom Jesus loves. Do you you understand? Do you understand? We come in this prayer and we begin with Abba. That's it. I am the child. I'm here because he loved. I'm not here because I loved. I'm here because he loved. And when I saw his love, I was done. Saw his love, that was it. I'm home. Again, let me take the prodigal son. The prodigal son comes home and and he's got no concept of father. 
father to him was really just the boss of the house. That's why he'd gone away. He had such a twisted, distorted view of what father was, what family was. But now desperation brings him home. He's coming home because he remembered his father had food and was generous in sharing it. And so he he comes home. And he comes home with his silly little speech. Do you remember it? I'm Father, I've sinned against heaven or against God. I've sinned against you. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. That means I'll have an arm's length relationship. I'll sleep under the bridge somewhere, sleep in a ditch, but I'll come whenever you need temporary help. Would you hire me? I'll be a hired servant, not even a servant on the property, a servant who's a temp. He's here for a day. At least I get one day of food. That, that was it. No sense of love, no sense of family. That's all over, finished. Just give me a job on a temporary basis whenever you need extra help. That's how he came home. That was the speech he rehearsed to say. And as he comes over the hill and his father saw him when he was yet a great way off, it said his father was moved with compassion. And he did what the culture of that day would describe as a shameful act. The father ran. Nobody above the age of 25, 30 max. No, they wouldn't run. That would be, well, as I say, shameful. And I mean shameful. Hang your head. Pray that no one repeats this to your children. I mean, we're talking serious shame that an elder of the village would run. An elder of the village walked with due solemnity. Slowly, dignified, that's the culture, custom. To run, you had to hold up those long robes that you wore, make them in through your legs to make Bermuda shorts of a fashion, and then to run with your spindly legs and your varicose veins showing what's come over you, man. You you have shamed your family. We can't look you in the face. You ran. And the boy comes home and he's smelling like a pig because he's lived with the pigs. And remember, this is Jewish story and therefore the pig is the abominable animal and to have touched it and been with it is to become an abomination. Leviticus 14. The boy comes home and the father smells him and sees his rags and his filth And he stands there with his robe all rolled up between his legs and tied around his waist. And then he grabs the boy and puts his mouth into that foul-smelling skin and it kisses him and kisses him. The margin of your Bible says kisses him all over. He accepts him. And the boy... He begins his speech. How could you do that? After that. But he begins his speech. I've sinned against heaven and against you. Yes, he surely had. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Yeah, that's right. But he doesn't go on. He stops. What stopped him? I used to think the father did. But again, read it again and again and it doesn't make sense. 
If the father had simply interrupted him, the boy would never have known why he couldn't say it. No, the boy stopped himself. He saw something. For the first time in his life, he saw love. He saw that his father would go to the extreme limit of being shamed and despised by the village in order to come to where he was. He saw that his father was willing to get inside him where he'd broken covenant, where he was with the pigs and he smelt like a pig and the father put his arms around those swine-smelling garments and his face into that vile flesh and kissed him and kissed him. And the boy saw love. He'd never seen it before. If he'd seen it, he'd never left home. He saw that he was loved and he saw that his father's love had no limits. He would be shamed before history in order to come where the boy was and to welcome him home. So he didn't talk about hired servants. He relaxed in his father's arms and let the father pronounce him, you are my son. You were lost, but now you're found. You see, the love of God has come to us and in the light of that love for the first time we understand what sin is and for the first time we don't want any more of it. We're responding to the Father who loves us. Abba, he first loved us. Abba, well, it's the word of relationship, which the prayer is all. Prayer is the expression of relationship. Sin is the expression of broken relationship. In the Garden of Eden, we were created, you see, to, to relate within the love of God, to know the Father, and to know the Father joined to God the Son, and to do so in the presence and the enlightenment and the strength of the Holy Spirit. That, that was always the plan. It's always the plan. And, and in that, we would know life. For being alive, eternal life, is knowing that the Father loves us. John seventeen three, And so, we, we've come into this divine love, this joy, this peace, this safety, this absolute assurance that we didn't start this. He did. And therefore I have assurance that he who loved me loves me and shall love me to unending futures. Love evokes trust, rest. We say, Abba, we have come. We've come to salvation. You say, salvation is a healed relationship. You, you can stick your heaven with golden streets in there any way you want. But he, salvation is now, no, not when you die. Heaven is now and it's your relationship to the Father has been healed. For God the Son got inside of you and took you to the Father in his death and resurrection. So prayer is that 
healed relationship now blossoming. We're home. We call him Abba. We're his children. And so we look across the kitchen table and we say, Abba, prayer has begun. There's no sense of shame. There's no saying, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy. Shut up, shut up. You're at the kitchen table. We don't use words like that here. You're here. The Father looks at you with eyes that brim with delight and joy and says you were lost and now you're found. You were dead, but now you're alive. You're my son. You're my daughter. Leave that stuff about becoming a hired servant and groveling. Leave that somewhere else. There's no sense of shame here, no sense of unworth. He's bestowed divine, unending love upon you. There's no sense of guilt for God himself in the lips of Jesus said, forgive them. You were included. This Abba is unlimitedly for us. He's on our side. The Old Testament said it since the beginning, over and over a million times as people met each other, they said, the Lord is with you. Well, he is with us. He's for us. And he's pro-us against everything that would destroy what he intended us to be. So therefore, We bring our problems, we bring our opportunities, we bring our challenges, we bring our cares. Yes, we do, but we don't start there. We start with realizing, letting it just wash over us. Abba, Father. And as I said, that can take some time, just realizing it. I've gone a whole day and everything that I'm doing that day, it's just that's that's all I'm doing. I'm just realizing he's Abba. I'm his child and it all started with him. And and then, then you can bring your requests when you know who you're talking to. Then you can bring your requests when you know where you're talking. But then that's another story. Because it says, our Father, in heaven. But that will take another hour. So, next week, we'll continue to learn how to pray from the lips of Jesus. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, His blessing be with you and in you and upon you, under you and above you and around you throughout the days of this incoming week, opening the eyes of your understanding that you might come at a greater, deeper depth than ever before to know that He is your Father that he is your father through Jesus the Son. And this is being ministered to you by God the Holy Spirit. So I bless you. And that is the way it is.